from CHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Has science actually impeded human progress? What are the limitations of the Western scientific paradigm? Where does the paranormal fit into it all? Hello there, and welcome to the 392nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those provoking questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So we have two returning guests this evening, uh, both of whom are pretty familiar to our longtime listeners, and both of whom have been, at many times, at the receiving end of the weaknesses of the modern scientific thinking. Well, affectionately known as the grandfather of ufology, Stanton T. Friedman is a nuclear physicist, author, lecturer, and media personality, received his undergraduate and graduate degrees in physics from the University of Chicago in 1955 and 1956. I was two and three years old, respectively, Stan. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, that old? <laughs> He worked for 14 years as a nuclear physicist at such companies as GE, GM, Westinghouse, TRW Systems, Aerojet, General Nucleonics, McDonnell Douglas Corporation, laboring in such highly advanced, classified, eventually canceled programs as nuclear aircraft, fission and fusion rockets, and various compact nuclear power plants for space and terrestrial use. He became interested in UFOs in 1958 and since 1967 has lectured all about them all over the world appearing on countless radio shows and television documentaries. He has published more than 90 UFO papers and several books, including Crash at Corona, The Definitive Study of the Roswell Incident, written with Don Berliner, Top Secret Magic, about the Majestic 12 Group, and Flying Saucers and Science. Stan lives in Fredericton, New Brunswick, which declared August 27, 2007, as Stanton Friedman Day. That was your 75th birthday, right? My what? <laughs> 75th birthday. Well, uh, pretty close. No, okay. it wasn't quite. No, well, I just, I'm 78 now. I won't hide it. So. Well, time flies when you're having fun. Well, it's not yep. the years, it's the mileage, Stan. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, the website is www.stantonfriedman.com. So author and UFO expert Kathleen Martin earned her undergraduate degree from the University of New Hampshire in 1971 and then grad did graduate work at the University of Cincinnati and later at UNH. After a distinguished career in education, she started investigating, writing, and lecturing about UFOs full-time in, in 1990. I almost said the 1990s. Well, I guess that counts, too. Uh, she was MUFON's director of, field uh, director of field investigation training in uh, well for about 10 years. The niece of famous 1961 UFO abductees Betty and Barney Hill, Kathy is a leading abduction researcher. Like Stan, Kathy likes to take on what my dad and I call the super skeptics. She has lectured all over North America and Europe and has appeared on numerous radio and television shows. Kathy and Stan have collaborated on two books, Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, and the subject of our uh, show tonight, Science Was Wrong, Startling Truths About Curse... Or, not curses, huh? Cures, <laughs> Theories, and Inventions. They Declared Impossible. Uh, Kathy lives in Groveland, Florida, and her website, www.kathleenmartin.com. Kathleen Martin with a dash, I guess. Right. So many people might be surprised at the idea that science could be wrong. Why did you write the book, and whose idea was it? Kathy, let's start with you. 
Okay. Well, Stan was the one who presented the idea of writing the book to me, and I thought that it was a terrific idea. Uh, I was thinking about uh, the position that we're in as ufologists and how difficult it is uh, to be taken seriously by the scientific community, the mainstream scientific community, that is, to, uh, to have the evidence studied, to have the evidence tested, that uh, the trend tends to be toward uh, the academic study of uh, people who witness uh, UFOs and people who believe they've been abducted in order to uh, try to find out what's wrong with these people, what psychological problems they might have. But there's really not a lot of interest among the mainstream scientific community, it seems, in actually evaluating the evidence and actually testing uh, the physical evidence in these cases. And uh, that's been fairly consistent throughout the history of science. So Stan and I wanted to take some uh, a number of, of specific cases, very interesting cases, over the past 150 years or so and investigate them and to show our readers uh, how difficult it actually is to promote sound scientific ideas. But I should uh, stress here, incidentally, that uh, science was wrong was half and half. We each did seven chapters. Right, uh, yes. And captured, uh, Kathy did about 85% of the work. But they put my name first for those who've noticed such things, and it was only because the publisher made a simple comment. He said, Stan, you're better known. It'll sell more. Now, what do you tell your publisher when he says it'll sell more if you do this or that? You say, okay. (laughs) All right, Stan. So same question to you. What? Why uh, why this book? Yeah. Uh, Well, for years I have taken on the nasty, noisy negativists, as I call them, when I'm being polite. And I thought uh, it it was time to let the world know that it's not just about strange stuff like UFOs and paranormal things. But scientists have been wrong all along the way about a whole bunch of things. Uh, And if you look in a book, there are 14 different chapters, and it's pretty clear that whether you're talking medicine or eugenics or flight or in airplanes or space or uh, treatment of uh, hemophilia or a whole bunch of things, there have been important people in these fields with uh, lots of degrees and high standing who have made stupid comments, if I can be polite about it. Uh, And it was time for people to understand that just because some bright guy with a lot of degrees and a high position says something, it doesn't mean you have to believe it, because what we found is very often these people are saying things not knowing anything at all about the subject at all, uh, at hand, and it's almost as if they are saying that, look, I'm a smart guy, I don't know anything about this, therefore it must not be true, and I'm not going to waste any time on it, and you must be wrong about it, and uh, go away, leave me alone. <laughs> and the thing is, as we point out in the book, Uh, There are many instances where science has paid a serious price for this noisy negativism. People have died. Uh, Lots of people have died. Uh, And that means that you really ought to pay attention to this. There are consequences, in other words, 
when we let uh, smart, in quotation marks, people stand in the way of progress and who don't seem to understand that the method of science is not to say uh, arrogantly, look, I know if, if this were true, I would know about it, and I don't, so it must not be. And, and, and don't bother me with the facts my mind's made up. You exactly. Know? Yeah. And so we, it, it was kind of fun, wasn't it, Kathy? I think we're, we really should do a second volume because we didn't exhaust all the examples. Of no, we didn't. In fact, we made a list of, of uh, examples to use in the second volume. And, yes, it was uh, really very, very much fun to write this, to, to research it, and, and just to pursue our own personal interests in doing that. Yeah, and, you know, uh, it, it's good to step outside. Uh, I mean, I'm a nuclear guy, but it was good to look at some of the, uh, the Semmelweis, for example, a doctor and, and, uh, who ran into this barrier of high authority saying it can't be, therefore it isn't there, and get off our staff, we don't want you. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of women died and their children because of that. Mm-hmm. And. And also, uh, for me, it was kind of a shock. Uh, Kathy did the work on the uh, eugenics movement. And I'd been aware of the eugenics movement. You know, better breed better people and we'll have a better world. I, oh, I guess yeah. that's one way to summarize it. And as Kathy found out, it was a horrible business involving rich people, well-educated people, and making nonsense out of the scientific method. Uh, I guess the idea is if we only get rid of the defectives in our society, keep them from reading. You know, if somebody, if they're deaf, well, we don't want any more of those people. And if they're blind, we don't want any more of those people and so forth. We will have an ideal world. Now, if it sounds a little familiar, think of Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and, he adopted uh, the eugenics movement as, as a model. Well, that's right. That's right. And... Many Americans have no idea how many people were steri- women were sterilized because, mm-hmm. after all, they couldn't possibly have uh, a respectable child, you know, a fit child. Sure. All right, so we're coming to the our first break, but I just wanted to get this question in uh, there for you, Stan. So you wrote the chapters on aerospace and technology issues, global warming and UFOs. So yeah. what are some examples of science being wrong in those fields? Well, I... Uh, in um, UFOs, for example, many statements by prominent people like my um, student, at, fellow student at the University of Chicago, Carl Sagan, about UFOs, they're interesting sightings that aren't reliable. They're reliable sightings that aren't interesting, but there are no interesting and reliable sightings. And the That's fact is, the biggest study ever done showed exactly the, the opposite. <clears throat> showed exactly the opposite. The better the reliability of the case, the more likely to be unidentifiable. Cross-comparison between the unknowns and the knowns uh, showed the probability the unknowns were just misknowns was less than 1%. And it goes on from there, downhill, uh, so to speak. Uh, and so uh, it, that has been bothering me from the first time I read a copy of Blue Book Special Report 14. The Secretary of the Air Force... Who should know better than he what the truth is about flying saucers said that uh, even the unknown 3% could have been identified as conventional phenomena or illusions if more complete observational data had been available. It's a total lie. The report, which he was referring to sort of semi-indirectly, showed that the unknowns weren't 3%. They were 21.5%. <laughs> That's not a 
rounding off error. I don't like being lied to by secretaries of the Air Force. If you tell us about it, yeah. Stan, I'll have to interrupt you because we have a break coming, but we'll continue with your answer in just a moment. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio and NewSkyRadio.com with our guests, Stanton Friedman and Kathy Martin. We will be right back. Thursday is a power-packed day here on the sky. Join us at noon for the I'm Thankful Network. At 1 p.m., it's the Dr. Pat Show. At 4 p.m., Colette Baron-Reed takes the stage for the Colette Baron-Reed Show. The Colette Baron-Reed Show, where intuition, practical spirituality, great advice, a little woo-woo fun, and fabulosity meet. Colette Baron-Reed is an internationally renowned intuitive counselor, educator, and best-selling author who helps others recognize and connect with their own intuition, potential, and purpose. Powerful motivational speaker, charismatic broadcast personality, and acclaimed performer, storyteller, and recording artist, Colette uses her extraordinary spiritual gifts to empower her clients to live a life that is awake and authentic, and to create a reality that is spiritual, deliberate, and meaningful. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. NewSkyRadio. NewSkyRadio.com. New horizons, no boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. And welcome bask- back, and we're enjoying, uh, we're basking in, in, in the the wisdom of our guests, uh, Stan Friedman and <laughs> Kathy Martin. And I wanted to give Stan a chance to continue with his uh, statement, his answer to Ben's question about uh, the, the various chapters that he wrote in the book, Science Was Wrong on Aerospace and Technology Issues, Global Warming, and UFOs. And uh, he was continuing to tell us where science was wrong or give us examples of where science was wrong in these, well, these areas. One that uh, is certainly relevant to today's world is this global warming stuff. There's a whole pro-global warming industry, the IPCC, mm. and uh, it's costing people in uh, England and Germany and other places millions. It'll be billions of dollars based on bad science. Uh, these guys say evil CO2 is polluting the world, and if we don't watch out, everything's going to get so hot, you know, all the ice will melt, and so forth and so on. And uh, it it simply isn't true. For the last 15 years, there's been no global warming. And CO2 is not a pollutant. Uh, As a matter of fact, every living plant on the planet needs CO2, so it would hardly do to eliminate it. And there have been periods of higher temperatures where man wasn't producing any CO2. I mean, most of it now comes from, you know, uh, automobiles and uh, in the industrial world and, and all that stuff. But long before that, there were periods of higher temperatures than there are now, and it wasn't because of CO2. And the selective choice of data really bothers me. They'll talk about the uh, Arctic uh, warming. They won't say at the same time, the Antarctic is cooling. <laughs> mm-hmm. And well, so, actually, and I, don't, I don't want to get off on this. This is not not paranormal subject, but just to mention that you know I write about other areas, and I happen to be interviewing one of the um, the fellows. He was the uh, director of the environment for the, the province of uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, and now he's doing the same thing in Rhode Island. And I mentioned uh, the, the uh, ice cap, exp- the the uh, I should say the, the glaciers expanding in Greenland. He said, "Well, yeah, but they're thinner." So I said, "Well, why well, so what six and one half dozen of the other?" And then, then he mentioned global sea level rise, and I said, in Rhode Island, well, how many monitoring devices do you have? And there's one. Said, well, how do you know it's not, you know, not subsidence and all this? Oh, I don't know. Just, the, the whole conversation was rather – the climate is not static, and I'm sure we're not doing it any good with what we do. But uh, I, I see exactly what you're saying, Stan. But to get back to our subject – um, and just, I guess, to go over to Kathy. Now, Kathy, you wrote chapters on medicine, politics, psychic phenomena, and alien abduction in Science Was Wrong. Uh, what's the deal with those? Can you give us some examples of where science was wrong in those areas? Absolutely. Uh, let me begin with medicine. Uh, Stan had mentioned earlier Ignac Semmelweis, who was a doctor who worked at the Vienna General Hospital. It was a teaching hospital, and he was supervising students there, medical students. Now, there were two units in that hospital. There was the midwifery unit, and then there was the obstetrical unit. Uh, And in the obstetrical unit, uh, the the doctors were uh, working on cadavers. They were doing dissections in the morning, and then they would go over to the unit in the afternoon and examine the women who were about to give birth to babies. And uh, without knowing why and what was causing this, 
there was a very, very high rate of infant and maternal mortality in this unit, whereas it was only 2% in the midwifery unit. That no one could figure out why this was happening, and certainly uh, the doctors were not willing to admit that their own hands uh, that are supposed to be healing these people were actually killing them. But that is what was actually happening. Now, the way that Ignac Semmelweis found out about this was that a friend of his who was uh, leading students in a dissection pricked his finger on a scalpel. Now, he was dissecting a woman who had died from childbed fever, which was a, a staphylococcus infection of the genital tract. Uh, and so he died. He developed all of the symptoms that these women had and, and ended up dying. Well, this told Ignac Semmelweis that it was something having to do with those cadavers, that this infectious material went to his hands uh, to the opening through the cut and caused him to develop this raging infection that killed him. Uh, Semmelweis discovered or realized that his medical students were not washing their hands. They'd finish working on these bodies and then they would just simply wipe their bloody hands on aprons and walk over to <laughs> the medical unit and uh, do internal examinations on all of these women whole rows of beds of women and infants would die within the first two weeks after giving birth. And he instituted a plan that worked very, very well. Simple hand washing. Everyone had to take a scrub brush and wash their hands with lime water when they left the uh, dissection room. The mortality rate dropped to 2%. You think you would think that he would have been rewarded for his insight and his work. He even did laboratory experiments on rabbits, showing that his work was correct. But the zeitgeist of the old guard refused to accept his findings and his ideas. They labeled him a charlatan. They made fun of him. They criticized him throughout Europe. He lost his job at the hospital for insubordination because he felt so strongly that doctors needed to wash their hands and stop killing these women and infants. He ended up moving back to his homeland of uh, Pest and lived out his life there uh, as the head of a hospital. And in the end, he died without ever having his achievements recognized. But finally, they were recognized, and a hospital has been named after him. There's a monument in his name. And even uh, Austria has issued a postage stamp with his photograph on the stamp. So this was is very important, but it demonstrates how very sound, solid scientific findings can be rejected by the medical community uh, and mostly for emotional reasons. Well, that's it. I'm sure, and I'm sure you can both relate to this. When I was doing graduate work in psychology as a, as a seminary student, 
I was uh, at working in psychiatric hospitals back when there were far more patients than there are today, and I would, just got the impression that many of these people who have been diagnosed schizophrenic were, seemed to be experiencing real worlds, and this multiverse theory that we use, Ben and I, uh, was developing at that time. And, and I said, you know, maybe these people are more normal than we are in the sense that they have doors all open in their minds to worlds that actually exist, whereas we can't, can't perceive those. And I've addressed groups of psychiatrists on this issue, and they will, in public, you know, the steam will come out of the ears and their eyes will turn red. But very often, a number of them will come up at the end privately and say, you know, I, I suspected that myself, but I don't dare say it because I'll lose my job. And it's I really really the same, uh, the same kind of idea. Yeah. All right. So why is it so hard to advance new scientific ideas and discoveries? Stan, let's start with you. Well, I would say it's the arrogance of the people who have achieved a certain status, high position, high title, uh, high uh, role in the world, looked up to by everybody, and to admit that they had been wrong about something. Uh, UFOs is a good example of this. I mean, if a guy's been saying there's nothing to it for 20 years, he's not likely to want to say, oh, you know what, I was wrong about all of that. <laughs> and... Uh, it shows up in, in many different places, and what, what bugs me, I worked in high technology and in industry, nuclear planes and nuclear rockets and stuff like that. And what I found more and more is that the what I call the ancient academics and fossilized physicists have no idea about the research that goes on outside of academia. Hmm. I mean, if, if you want a stealth aircraft, you go to Lockheed. You don't go to some university. Uh, if you want a nuclear submarine... You know, you go to GE or Westinghouse. You don't go to some university. And so uh, I, I've had two different people tell me, uh, Stan, if Roswell really happened, we'd have had to pull half the physicists out of the colleges and universities in the country to deal with it. And I laughed. I said, you've got to be kidding. Don't you realize how big places like Los Alamos National Lab and Oak Ridge National Lab? And when I was working for GE on nuclear airplanes, we spent $100 million in 1958, employed 3,500 people, 1,100 of them engineers and scientists. We're not talking about half a dozen professors and 40 grad students, for goodness sakes. So their, their world, and, and they also don't understand where security fits into it, that there's a lot of work going on that's classified. They think, you know, publish or perish. If, if you can't read it in the scientific journal, it, it doesn't exist. And... These are totally false. Well, as an example, uh, I scare people. <laughs> I guess that's not the right word. Maybe you surprise people by saying we have nuclear-powered aircraft carriers that can operate for 18 years without refueling. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? Well, no, it wasn't done at a university. We have submarines that can go around the world underwater. It wasn't done at a university. It was done by people working hard, uh, trying things out, checking on reality. And so uh, that, i found, is one of the major difficulties in the security thing. I mean, when the head of the Hayden Planetarium says the proof that we can't keep secrets in government is how much we know about President Clinton's genitalia, uh, then you know that they're not thinking straight. You know, that has mm. nothing to do with uh, high security. Or Dr. Seth Shostak, uh, SETI is one of my favorite targets, you know, uh, mm -hmm. silly effort to investigate is what <laughs> SETI stands for. Uh, when he says the proof that governments can't keep secrets, 
is the how badly we behaved with uh, FEMA about Katrina and how poorly the post office operates. I have to say, well, what about the NSA and the NSC and the CIA and the DIA and the NRO and all those alphabet soup agencies who spend tens of billions of dollars, much of it in black budgets? Uh, that's where you want to look for security. And so uh, it, it's the fact that, you know, the, the fox is guarding the chicken coop here. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Well, for, so, I'll say I don't have to interrupt you again. We're coming up on another break. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benino on the New Sky section of the Columbia Broadcasting System. And we'll be right back with our guests, Stanton Friedman and Kathy Mark. Stay with us. New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, and Psychic Radio, PsychicOnAir.com, powered by CBS Radio, AOL, and Yahoo, is unlike any talk radio station, with a mission to improve the world one listener at a time. This is where you can be the star of your own show. Our listeners are truly unique, truly interactive, and passionate about their world. The Sky and Psychic Radio listeners genuinely care about the environment, social justice, their personal health, and raising people up to live their best life every day. Our motto is New Horizons, No Boundaries. New Age Views, Life Coaching, Psychic Analysis, Alternative Medicine, and Cutting Edge Mind, Body, and Spirit shows can all be found on the Sky and Psychic Radio. Perhaps you have what it takes to join our broadcast family, an open mind, a great idea, and a passion for enriching lives. Check out all the exciting details by clicking the microphone on our homepage at NewSkyRadio.com or give Lisa Rodman a call at 248-546-9600 to learn just how affordable it can be to host a show. Tell you, but I want to. I'm scared of what you're saying, so I'm hiding. 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, where we have our fascinating guests, Stan Friedman and Kathleen Martin. All right, so Kathy, let me ask you really quick the same question I asked Stan, but we didn't have much time to answer. So why is it so hard to advance new scientific ideas and discoveries in your opinion? Well, I think that uh, there are a number of reasons for it, but one of those reasons is that it's not politically expedient in some cases. Uh, So I think we have to take it on a case-by-case basis. But uh, in my book and and Stan's book, um, the chapters I did on the eugenics movement in America and also on methylmercury and a little bit on hemophilia, uh, the hemophilia holocaust, you'll read about uh, why it was not politically expedient to promote the truth about what was going on in those cases. Also, uh, finance comes into it sometimes, and sometimes it's just plain greed. Uh, For example, I wrote a chapter on smallpox and uh, the development of the smallpox vaccine, and that was uh, very strongly objected to by the doctors who were running variolation clinics in Europe. And what this was, was before the development of the smallpox vaccine, where they used cowpox pustules, they introduced uh, pustules taken from people who had smallpox and made a little slit in uh, a person's skin and introduced those pustules into their bloodstream and then placed them in a hospital. They would get a mild case of smallpox. And uh, they would have to recover in the hospital for two or three months. Uh, It was very expensive. The doctors were making a lot of money doing this. And uh, it appealed to the wealthy people. Of course, the the people who were not well-to-do were dying in great numbers. But those in the power were making a lot of money. And uh, so that would be a reason, another reason why sound scientific ideas are not promoted. Uh, another one is, as Stan mentioned, that if you've worked your entire life and you have discovered uh, something that you think is sound and some young upstart comes along and proves that uh, you were wrong, you're not going to be very pleased about that. So. Uh, you're going to object. And since you're in a position of seniority there, when it comes to peer review and it comes to uh, deciding whether or not somebody's work is going to be published in a scientific journal, you might decide not to permit that finding to be published in the journal. Uh, And, you know, of course, it's sort of a political in a sense because the people with the power, again, are preventing knowledge from being uh, passed on. You know, I relate to that too, Kathy and and Stan, because uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, when I was working on this multiverse idea just from the paranormal trenches as being the only thing that really explained what I was uh, working with, I wonder, I specifically sought out physicists 
at various universities, particularly in New England. And uh, I got a lot of the attitude, well, you know, what the he- who the heck are you? You have the wrong degree. Your degree is in philosophy. What do you know about anything? And, uh, you know, others were open-minded, but there was, a, there was a, a sort of sense of loftiness, you know, these, particularly when they had PhDs. So I don't know. It's, you know what uh, I think bothers me most psychologists? For anyone who's out there who's a psychologist, I do not mean to offend you. It just it, – it, they bother me so much because they – I have had like people talk to me in debates who are like actors and they're like, Oh, well the national, uh, like debt board of psychology says this. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean anything. They're a pseudoscience. Like you can't test anything that they say. So once they say something, people tend to think theories are laws and it's like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, not to mention the fact most of the psychiatrists I worked with over the years and psychologists in this field, they're mad as hatters themselves. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. one to recognize one. <laughs> well, exactly. It's true. So well, we have an interesting statistic to tell you. Um, it was a, a survey that was done back in 1979 where 1,100 uh, American college science professors were surveyed. And the finding was that 55% of the natural scientists and 66% of the social scientists believe that extrasensory perception is either uh, – an established fact or a possibility, hmm. and that figure jumped to 75 percent when you went to uh, the arts, humanities, and education. But when psychologists were surveyed, 34 percent believed that ESP was impossible, despite <laughs> the evidence. Really? Yeah. I've had psychologists tell, tell us that we're more skeptical than they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, well, you know, it, there's a basic rule here that we're talking about. Uh, the, the rules for debunkers, one of them is, don't bother me with the facts. My mind's made up. Yeah, right. <laughs> what the public doesn't know, I'm not going to tell them, so they never reference, for example, the large-scale scientific studies. A third one is, if you can't attack the data, attack the people. It's mm-hmm. easier, and nobody will know the difference. And the fourth one, which is very widely applied, is do your research by proclamation investigation is too much trouble mm-hmm. yeah and you yeah. will run across that all the time and as i say it's to society's detriment uh and that that's one of the things that drives me on this too it's not just my ego but uh, and i've debated some of these debunkers and uh yeah it is my ego i i michael Shermer, who's head of the skeptic society oh, yeah michael i debated him on coast to coast radio Three hours. I got eighty percent of the vote at the end of the session. I'm sure. Yeah. He just didn't know what he was talking about. Research by proclamation, and so I don't think he'd debate me again. Of course. Well, it just but, seems like debating's gone down the tube the last like few years because it's like people just get into screaming matches and like, no, I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. Yeah, forget the facts. Yeah, that, they don't that's, argue. They don't know how to argue. They, with they argue like five year olds. It, it's ridiculous. Well, I have a theory about skeptics and super skeptics, as we call them. Skepticism can be very comfortable, and it seems to us that when you have people arguing from that point of view, which which it can be very illogical, that that they they just it's perhaps a defense mechanism against the fact that we are not in control of our world, yeah, and that we really know hmm. very little, if anything, about it. We like Good to think point. that we know everything. Yeah. So this sort of leads into the next question. Uh, whenever either of you are on the show, we're always talking about UFOs or abductions. 
But in Section 5 of Science Was Wrong, uh, you write about psychic phenomena, which we were just talking about. Uh, what's your belief on the reality of these phenomena, and how do they relate to UFOs? Kathy, let's start with you. Okay, well, I have to tell you that I was highly skeptical when I began my research for this chapter. And uh, I'm not the kind of skeptic who has my mind made up before I go in and, and work from there. I'm uh, an open-minded skeptic, and I go where the evidence leads me. And uh, the evidence led me to uh, the academic evidence, uh, the, the result of thousands of studies that show that telepathy is real, that some people are telepathic. And uh, I can tell you a little bit about those experiments if you'd like to hear about them. Sure. Well, they started actually I'll about to, yeah, 100 I'll interrupt years. you in a few minutes, but go ahead. Okay. started about 100 years ago, and they were not very tightly controlled back then. But over the years, they became more and more controlled, and actually the, uh, the academics brought in skeptics who helped them to develop tight, tighter controls. And finally, they developed what is called a Gansfeld uh, telepathy experiment, and that was developed in the early 70s. And what they have is you have uh, a, a soundproof room, you have a sender in one room, and you have a receiver in another the receiver's isolated, ping-pong balls on the eyes, uh, white noise, uh, very sensory-deprived. And the sender is isolated in another soundproof room. There's a closed-circuit video system. And it sends random images, uh, generally nature photos, to the sender. And then the sender attempts to telepathically send them to the receiver. In the meantime, the experimenter, who is a graduate student or a professor, is sitting in another room and uh, is uh, tallying the results because what happens is the receiver uh, then states whatever image he or she is receiving. And uh, they have come up with some extraordinary results from 1974 to 1997 there were 2,549 Gansfeld sessions or Gansfeld telepathy experiments done. And with amazingly high uh, statistics regarding the reality of telepathy, not everybody has it, but some people are highly telepathic. Yeah. Actually, I was involved in some of those experiments in the early 70s, mid-70s. Um, I'll have to um, interrupt you. I'm afraid we have another break coming up, and you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, newskyradio.com. We'll be right back with our fascinating guests. Stay with us. Mondays are motivational. It all begins with you. And that's where the Movement Within featuring life coach April Claxton comes in. Join April and her uplifting guests Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Featured on Animal Planet, Court TV, Unsolved Mysteries, and The Hauntings, Psychic Barbara Mackey. Barbara is a sixth-generation psychic medium, animal psychic, and spirit communicator. Tune into Visions with Barbara Mackey at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. There are four corners, and Will and Nancy will take you there at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Existence is what we live for. Adventure 
is our journey. Metaphysical topics, inspiring and educational guest speakers, psychic readings, and more. Artie's the Party with Angels and Answers, Mondays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Psychic readings and more. Join the fun. What goes bump in the night? Heidi knows. At 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Heidi Hollis's The Outlander will lunge into topics on all things outlandish and more. Call in or write Heidi to vent or get advice about your paranormally inspired curiosities or challenges. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. NewSkyRadio. NewSkyRadio.com. New horizons, no boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Okay, we're back uh, for our final section here. Remember, and, uh, I guess we're going to give Stan a chance to answer that same question that we asked uh, all right, Stan. So, uh, whenever either of you are on the show, we always end up talking about uh, UFOs and abductions. And so, in the section five of science was wrong, you write about psychic phenomena. So, what's your belief on the reality of these phenomena, and how do they relate to UFOs? Me, uh, I would say I believe that there are a whole host of psychic phenomena, and it would astonish me if an advanced civilization didn't know far more about these than we do. Uh, things that we fight and resist, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, if you look at the Hill case, for example, it was clear that they were able to control the memories, to shut off their memory of uh, disturbing events that had happened, uh, the ability to do that. They were, when you stood at, when, when we were at the exact location where the UFO had hovered above Betty and Barney's car, it was perfectly obvious that Barney did a couple of things after that that he would never have done on his own without them influencing them. How do they wind up going down this, uh, what do I call it, a country road, dirt road, where there were no people really except the aliens in the road stopped the car. They took them on board a craft that was in the only area there big enough uh, to have such a size craft on the ground. They had to have directed them there. It wasn't random. Now, how do they do that? I call that a paranormal event, if you want. Mm. Uh, and, you know, even simple-minded things, like when they were sticking a needle in Betty's navel very painfully, and I guess it was the leader waved his hand at Betty. How would you describe it, uh, Kathy? Uh, yes, he, and, he uh, waved his hand in front of her eyes. Now, I hear this over and over again from abduction experiencers, who experience pain during this process, that generally the temple is touched or the hand goes near the eyes and the pain goes away. This is still taking place today. That's paranormal by my interpretation. And so I think, in other words, the connection is that a more advanced civilization will know more about the things we're fighting, resisting, because of our ignorance and our prejudice. So I think there is a connection in, in that sense. Well, unless they're from a uh, reality where the laws of physics are different, which has been suggested by some quantum physicists. Well, but who knows? you know, today's laws are next decade's laws. Uh, That's true, yeah. My, my mantra is that technological progress comes from doing things differently in an unpredictable way. The future is not an extrapolation of the past. You have to change how you do things. People don't want to admit that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a laser is not a better light bulb, darling. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's no, entirely it's different point. physics. Exactly. The nuclear rockets that I worked on, fission rockets, mm-hmm. not just better chemical rockets, entirely different physics. Mm-hmm. So anybody who thinks we've discovered all of physics, or chemistry or anything else for that matter, is wrong, in my opinion. <laughs> well, true. Well, I'm afraid we're just about out of time here, but I wanted to give you a chance again to uh, promote the book and to tell us about your websites and to tell us what you're working on next. Uh, Kathy, if you want to start. Okay, sure. Uh, my website is www.kathleen, with a K, hyphen, or a dash, 
Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N.com. I have a, a lot of articles on there that you can read. Uh, you, pretty soon, within a week or so, I'm going to be posting the results of my latest uh, project with Denise Stoner. It's a questionnaire uh, project, and we were looking for commonalities among abduction experiencers. Hmm. So I've just today finished uh, writing that. Uh, it's about 15 pages long. And uh, Denise and I are working on a book that will be published next May. And Stan and I are talking about the possibility of writing something together, too. Great. Stan, what's that about? rather different. Well, uh, that book is uh, in my mind. And also, I I was just down in Texas to give some lectures. I'm going to uh, Texas again in a week or so to give some lectures. This is on my website at www stantonfriedman.com it lists all my books, my DVDs including one that's a debate are flying saucers real? Uh, myself versus uh, an Air Force major who says nonsense you know, hmm. they can hear both sides of the story if you want uh, a DVD of course uh, and uh, I also will be speaking in uh, Phoenix where it will be warm in late February for the International UFO Conference uh, and I'll be, and I think Kathy is too, will be at uh, Roswell uh, next uh, early July. Uh, you know, there's plenty going on, surprisingly. I'm supposed to be in Brazil. We'll see uh, whether they can come up with the money to bring me there. They just yeah, sponsor drop out. Yeah. <laughs> and well, thank so, you. Okay, well, you know, go ahead. No, just that there's a lot going on. Ufology is not dead by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I should hope not. But thank you both for a marvelous conversation. I hope we'll see you Indeed. both soon. And uh, th- thanks again. That. We'll uh, we'll continue. Okay, Good. everybody. Uh, Stan Friedman and Kathy Bard. So we have some announcements this evening. My dad and I finished up our regular speaking season with three presentations this afternoon. Well, actually, it was two. At the All Hallows Yeah, people Eve. were flying home because of the storm. Yeah. Now, the All Hallows Eve Psychic Fair at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island, but we are always open for more bookings over the winter. So <laughs> so you can see www.behindtheparanormal.com for information. I just wanted to say, too, uh, we, of course, have our Boston Providence uh, AM show tomorrow night, and I wanted to just say that... Uh, if the power is out or the station's running on generators, and we're not sure if we're going to be live uh, or the show might be preempted for emergency broadcast. We just don't know. So just uh, stay tuned to the website or because uh, we are in the path of this storm. So we'll do the best we can. All right. So many thanks to our producer, Brandon Jackson, and we will see you right here next week, November 4th, when my dad and I will welcome journalist and conscious researcher. Or consciousness, consciousness researcher, <laughs> Brett Luder. I pronounced that correctly, right? That's correct, yeah. Okay. For a look at hunting UFOs. And in the meantime, tune into our Boston Providence Drive Time Show on WON, 1240 AM. Try to. Yeah. And com at 6 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday. You can always get free podcasts of all our shows at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And we leave you this evening with a thought from American mathematician John Allen Paulus. Uncertainty is the only certainty there is, and knowing how to live with insecurity <laughs> is the only security. Oh, so thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time.